Hello, and welcome to Talking Sense, the sensibility podcast. I'm your co-host, Kat. I'm your co-host, Erin. And today we have a guest host. Would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, um, I'm Carly. I work with Scott Pep, a sex worker-led charity in Edinburgh and across Scotland. Um, and in my normal life, I these days, I do social media marketing. Welcome. Another another uh, a lady panel, which is nice. We have we have permanent lady hosts, but you're our first lady co-host, so welcome. Very excited Ooh. to have you. Um, is there anything you want to tell us about where you're from or anything like that? Gosh, where I'm from. Well, originally I'm from the rural world of Devon. Um, I grew up in Exeter and then spent my life growing up near the sea. That was quite nice. Uh, for some reason, turned 21 and decided I'd move to Scotland. Um, and I've lived in, Ed- in Edinburgh ever since. Um. And I've been here since, yeah, like 2017, 2018. Feels like only yesterday and a lifetime ago, kind of simultaneously. Awesome to have another new Scott panel. We like having... We've only had one person born in Scotland on, on our panel. So we, we like I talking about... I love like, that. We were wait, told wait, 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 our so... voices matter. And now we won't shut up. <laughs> okay, so today we're talking about... Um, sex work, sex workers' rights, and um, the direction that has been going in um, Scottish politics as of late. Um, And so we have uh, Carly on um, because she is a board member with Scott Pep, which is a Scottish sex worker-led charity. And um, you talk to us today a bit about uh, what's happening. Yeah, for sure. So like a bit of background, I did sex work, in-person sex work, which between uh 2015 no 2000 something or another and like last year about four and a half five years um and uh i've worked in brothels i've worked independently um and i've worked in like shop pornography um i did a whole selection of different stuff uh since retired reached the grand old age of 25 and i was like you know it's time to move on and ever since then i have uh, been working uh, outside of that industry but still uh, firmly within uh sex worker rights activism as a whole uh, i've been in scott pep and i don't have any intention to kind of move on from it because it's still something i'm really passionate about um like there's an age-old saying and kind of thought process that once you've kind of steeped to the depths of being a whore you'll always be branded one by society and I very much like adopt that policy with if that's how society's going to see me then I will continue to shout about it and make life better for other people for as long as I can really so yeah um I worked in Edinburgh uh but during that time I also set up a mutually led sex worker support group uh so fortnightly this was pre-covid covid came and has washed it all away sadly but um, I would, every uh, fortnightly, I'd provide a space, uh, open up to sex workers in Edinburgh and across Scotland, provide condoms, access to mental health support, community supplies, even just simple things like pan chocolates and having people to talk to. Um, and I set that up originally independently. Um, and then latterly with the support of Scott Pep, who helped to provide some funding towards, you know, the pan chocolates and, you know, the important things. Scott Pep is actually what introduced me to, um, and, and a couple friends of ours that, you know, we're talking about sex workers' rights and activism. And I remember at the last SNP conference, they had a motion and it was something that I was listening to it and I called, you know, you, as you do, you call your, you call your friend that you trust their opinion, who knows more about it. And I said, this is something that sounds good, but is actually bad, Right. This is something that I'd want to vote no on. I, I don't know. I just have this niggling sense. And I can't even remember because it was presented as this 
wonderful decriminalizing sex work thing, and it was the Nordic model. Um, so should we go a little bit into the background of that and for sure. damage? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so for a little bit of background as well, my, my knowledge of the situation, the Nordic model originally kind of started in Sweden. Uh, and a couple of years ago, I had the like privilege of going over and taking part in a conference put on by a group of sex worker activists in Sweden. So I've got a lot of like friends now who work in Sweden. So like when I'm talking about uh, things that might come across as quite analytical with regards to like structures of policies. I'm framing that off of the groundwork of what I understand my friends' lives to be like and how I view that to be impacted. So like, if you don't know already, uh, the Nordic model as like a terminology is the process by which uh, sex work is legislated through, in theory, decriminalizing the sale of sex, but criminalizing the purchase of sex. So the idea is that you provide help to sex workers and you criminalize the men who are trying to buy the sex in the first place, uh, kind of positioning it within a patriarchal framework, which uh, distributes women solely as like victims in desperate need of help, and the men solely in the position of abusive, uh, manipulative men who the act of sex work is intrinsically tied to their uh, male kind of patriarchal power, so to speak. Um, I mean, it's often dressed up as this very feminist notion, and... Um, uh, as something that we should aspire towards. Um, but in reality and in practicality, the kind of reality couldn't be further different from that fact. Uh, the Nordic model in Sweden plays out in an incredibly paternalistic manner, where it's used to discriminate against sex workers. Uh, I know the head of vice in Stockholm's police district, for example, like he is one of the strongest uh, advocates for the Swedish model and has taken uh, un certain MSPs who I shan't name over to Stockholm to go and see the wonderful work that they've done. Um, and what they do is they kind of distribute this idea that there's no sex workers in Sweden, you know, that they help them all out of situations. Um, but in reality, what they're doing is uh, kind of saying that women who sell sex have no ability to know what's right for them. They say women who sell sex are unable to be helped unless they're willing to kind of exit the industry. Friends of mine have reported being denied mental health treatment if they're unwilling to um, quit sex work before they can. I've heard stories of migrant sex workers being forcibly sterilised against their knowledge in Sweden as well. Um, lots of this different information that I'm bringing up if you want to read further uh, you can look online for the 20 years of the Swedish model document which was published by Fuckforbundet in 2018 um, and that was said like kind of acknowledging that it had been 20 years since this law had passed and they've done a lot of research on the ground in Sweden with other sex workers so when I say things like this this is coming predominantly from that document um so yeah uh it's kind of used in a sense as a stick to beat women with um the idea that the women selling sex are you know entirely unable to speak for themselves are entirely um incapable of making sensible informed decisions about their medical care uh about like their children um this is something that's kind of replicated then from the idea of the Nordic model across the rest of society. So it impacts healthcare, impacts how, um, well, I can't remember the name of it, but when you have a trial over who's a parent of a child and who gets custody, custody battles, it impacts those decisions. If a woman's a sex worker, she's less likely to be ruled in favour of because she's deemed to be an unfit mother. Um, and the this policy, which in, in like at first glance, as um, Kat mentioned earlier at the conference, like it sounds like a good thing, but in reality comes down to like really severely damaging uh, the basic livelihoods of, of women. We've also seen in Ireland, Ireland is a place that's adopted the Swedish model, the Nordic model, since it was introduced 20 years ago. 
Um, and during that time, we've recently seen um, increases in violence against sex workers as they're being, everyone's being told through the media that sex workers are helpless, vulnerable, uh, at risk and need to be saved. So naturally that encourages people who want to target helpless, vulnerable and women who need to be saved. Uh, it gives them kind of, it emboldens them. So we saw an increase in knife crime against LGBT sex workers in Ireland after the uh, after the law was brought in. And then recently we've also seen um, a nurse whose partner, she is selling sex and the mayor, the nurse has been um, accused of pimping, is being uh, fired from their job um, and is basically being told that because just because like, you know, they share the rent and one of them earns money through sex work, that's profiting from sex work, they're a pimp and that they're having their whole life kind of ruined because of that. So it has really far, far reaching complications beyond that with which, like, when you say, think of like legislation, you think of, oh, like, it just means it's just to do with the act. And outside of that, everyone's lives are the same, but it's not. It's, um, it, it, this legislation then dictates the direction of further legislation and, like, just further people's attitudes around the issue. Yeah. And that, um, of course, ties to things that have been happening internationally as well, like with um, FOSTA SESTA in the US, which has made sex workers um, a lot less safe because of not being able to sort of screen clients effectively online. Um, and what you were saying about um, the language around sex work and about um, how we use this like progressivity language to talk about um, you know ending demand and criminalizing the men, not the women. Um, you know, the, this is in relation as well to what Kat was saying about the, the conference where that motion was being voted on, because that motion passed, didn't it? And um, it barely, now yes, look, it barely passed, but it did. And now you look at the language that was in how, how are we, are we fine with me just ripping into the manifesto now? Yeah. Let's be, okay. let's start with the whole sex work is violence let's, against women. Let's, let's, start, put, let's put the cards on the table here. So this, the part of the sensibility project is um, sort of the progressive left voices within the SNP challenging our own parties. Um, failures to live up to what should be the values of a, a progressive social democratic party. And one of those things is, is the language that has been used about sex work in the manifesto um, in this election cycle. Um, so the only place that um, I recall anyway, sex work being mentioned in the SNP manifesto for this, you know, the, the election that was this spring um, is under the section tackling domestic abuse and sexual violence. And the language it uses is, um, we took forward Scotland's first national consultation on prostitution. So lovely. Um, we will develop a model for Scotland to tackle this, this form of violence against women and girls and consider how aspects of international approaches, uh, which seek to challenge men's demand for prostitution would be best applied in Scotland. In addition to a focus on challenging men's attitude toward the purchase of sex, we will engage with those with direct or lived experience to shape services and design measures which will protect them from harm and provide the support they need, including help to exit prostitution. So first off, the word they're using is just prostitution. We're not talking about sex work broadly. Uh, they're framing it as a form of violence, not work that some people choose to engage in. They're framing it as men are the only buyers and women are the only sellers. Um, this is and they're the they're one. framing men and women each as monoliths, correct? Yes, know, which is very problematic. <laughs> yeah. So this is like uh, so just just to rip into this. Okay. This is as you say, framing women as victims who can't make their own choices about their own bodies and work. This is um, really heterosexist in that it is suggesting that all sex work is straight men purchasing the services of straight women, which is 
absurd. Um, and it it is using disrespectful language, and it's it is the like honestly like there's a lot of things that I have problems with the way the party fails to live up to the values it claims to espouse. But I think this is the only thing where I just look at what the party's doing as opposed to what they're failing to do and saying like this is wrong. And something that I've been warned about and haven't actually experienced yet because we're all online and in little boxes, right? We're barely speaking to each other, seeing each other in real life. We've actually had the pleasure, the three of us, of meeting in real life. So that's kind of nice. But, um, you know, one of the problems is that I've been warned and told that I I have people that I'm friends with, friends and colleagues that will absolutely just flip shit as soon as this comes up. And they'll, they think that women who want to stand up for sex workers rights or who want to have these conversations, women and men, right? Everyone that, that we're somehow trying to harm our daughters, which to me, like, please think of the children. Like every time that language comes out, I'm like, stop it. Just stop it. Um, I, I really think that like, like we both, like we all said, people had a really good, it was framed very smartly, right? This is the century or decade of framing things in a progressive way, even though they're not. And I think that a lot like in Portugal, how they had to just think completely outside the box to deal with drugs and, and that kind of problem. They had to decriminalize things in a way that didn't quite make sense to people until it went into practice and it worked. I think that there are parts of the things with the Nordic model that don't have to criminalize the um, what purchasing sex work. They don't have to criminalize anything. We can still have all these programs to like help people who want to get out of sex work or who are victims um, and are are coerced into this line of work. Is am I correct? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so before I tear into SMP policy, <laughs> uh, good to preface that I'm not an I'm not an active and I'm not an SMP member. Um, but so you know just just getting that out there in advance uh not not a member um but uh yes uh so i have like loads of issues with the way that this has all been played out um i mean first and foremost framing uh sex work as this like monolithic violence against women totally ignores like the reality of sex work which is to say that you know sure at times sex work can be violent it can be degrading it can be humiliating but let's be real pragmatic here it's not the demand for sex work that makes sex work um like any any of those things it's poverty and the fact that oftentimes these women have no other options no other choices and that's not being controlled by men who want to pay them for sex that's being controlled by the fact that we have a completely failing welfare system that doesn't cover everybody's necessary health care even though we have the nhs we have like migrants who can't get access to housing and universal credit because they're being systematically barred from this stuff we can criminalize the purchase of sex until the cows go home but at no point is that ever actually going to solve any of the root issues that cause women to have to sell sex in the first place so all you see when that happens is increased police violence decrease in a good client stroke clients that aren't going to be as problematic a decrease in the ability to sell sex in places that are you know safer in paris for example the red light district has moved from the streets into like the wooded parks of the bois de boulogne and it like sex workers become more unsafe there because they've been forced out of the place out of them the public eye essentially so all of these things compound on top of each other and by by encouraging this idea which is something that the SP have uh, bought into so to speak that you can criminalize one half of the transaction not deal with any of the aspects of poverty and like systematic racism uh, and misogyny and they can expect this problem to just disappear it's just 
in my in my opinion, it's like they've got the whole thing wrong, um, and they're just completely approaching it from the wrong direction. And and my view is very much that like sure we could get to a point where we decide we would love to see nobody have to sell sex anymore, um, and that if that was their goal, I'd understand that. But going into it and being like, okay, we want to see uh sex work, no one no one have to do sex work anymore, especially if they don't want to. Um, the the process towards doing that shouldn't then be well we're gonna arrest them, we're gonna arrest their clients. It should be we're gonna provide them with unending financial uh food resources jobs that they feel able and empowered to go and access um stigma free healthcare and mental health care um access to their needs which includes things like decriminalizing the use and access of drugs and having methods of getting that which don't include having to to constantly be be able to produce new money through sex work um and it's like these are all techniques that you can you could approach and look at and explore um, that would have far more positive solutions and, and end results than you're ever going to get with just uh, giving more power to the police, which has never worked out well for women and minorities in the first place. And it, it infuriates me because even though I, I don't agree on all levels with like the underlying attitudes of, you know, we have to see sex work entirely abolished as a system of patriarchal violence. Like there's levels to that which I do agree. I've experienced violence in sex work myself. But I also just completely despair at the fact that they've gone, they've jumped to that and thought more violence, more state violence and less power for the sex workers is the way forward for that to be reached. Like I could appreciate, I could appreciate and understand the first where they were like, okay, let's, let's throw resources at the people that need it. But all they're doing is trying to give more power to people who already have too much power. They're all trying to strip power, the little power that sex workers have and make them more vulnerable. And it just seems entirely, I mean, not only does it seem closed minded and unhelpful, it seems downright rude to me. And it feels like consistently, uh, we talked briefly on the the uh, Scotland wide con- um, consultation that was put forward by the Scottish government last year. Um, so Scott Pep put together a widget to help people fill out the consultation because the entire consultation was filled up with incredibly large words, complicated phrases and complicated like talk that heck, half of us didn't understand. And we are supposedly like the sex worker rights movement. So we had to like break it down, put it into a widget um, and make it more accessible. And if they actually wanted to hear the voices of people who are selling sex, they should have been out into all of the massage parlours in Scotland and speaking to the women there and asking them what was going on. But they don't. They put things in very heavily coded language, hide it behind complicated to sign up to like barriers of government websites and make it incredibly difficult for people to access. It's like, practice what you preach if you actually want to speak to these people. And instead it's like, we're going to do the bare minimum. We're going to ask our friends who we think are going to give us the right answers to give us the answers that we want. And we're going to hope that sex workers don't realise we're doing this so we can get away with doing what we want to do in the end. And um, yes. very, very pleased to announce that at Scott Pep, we managed to get over 1,500 people to sign through our widget. And that was a lot more than certain other people. So for that, I am incredibly proud of the work that Scott Pep put in. And yes. uh, I don't I don't necessarily think the Scottish government were expecting it. So I did use Scott Pep's suggested answers when filling in the consultation. Um, and I had to wait for that to be available because I found the way the consultation was written, just to, if we're going to talk about things the Scottish government has done that I'm not a fan of, um, I found the way that the consultation was written. Um, first off, there was the, the preamble of it. Um, you know, where it was like explaining what it was doing. Um, I, I wish I had like saved this somewhere because it, um, it used, um, different definitions from different reports from different agencies to create basically something that said, um, you know, sex work is defined as, and then like, this is defined as 
by this other agency as violence. And therefore, we have to do something about sex work as part of our commitment from this other document to end violence against women and girls. It's just like, no, that's not that's not how this works at all. And did that, did so, like, that were, trigger your grad student, Erin? Like, it, it did. Okay, so I'm a PhD student. student. <laughs> so, like, I was looking at this at how I would grade an undergrad paper and was just like, if one of my undergrads handed me something that was like trying to daisy chain meetings like this together, I would have like sent their draft back. Like, that is the quality, quote unquote, quality of work that was went into the preamble of this consultation. And then the way they were phrasing questions was so. Again, to a PhD student, so confusing and so clearly leading towards one specific answer or making it impossible to answer in a way that is actually supportive of sex workers' rights, because no matter how you answered yes or no, you could have been implying either meaning that uh, I had to wait for this Scott Pep um, suggested responses. I would not have been able to respond to it. If your questions confuse two two women who are used to grading year one and two papers from UD students... (laughs) You know, like, I I don't know. I felt like it was a bit on purpose, you know, like there was, and I I honestly think that a lot of this is a lack of knowledge. I'm a member of the SMP socialist. So I spoke at our May Day affirmation thingy that we had um, about how, you know, the right to organize and the right and the dignity and work should extend to sex work. This It's work just like any other thing. And some people enjoy it and some people don't want that to be their job and some people are fine with it. And we need to, I don't know, to me, the only thing that you can do to empower people, or like the only thing you can do is to empower people so they have the autonomy to make the choice whether they want to do that job or not. And it seems like the Nordic model store, sort of, it, it like you said, it pushes it to the shadows and says, we, this just isn't polite and we don't want to see it. And, and that's it. We just don't want to see it. And that's, we want to pat ourselves on the back and not worry about it anymore. Right. Absolutely. Um, and it's, it's so good that you acknowledge that, like, even from an outsider perspective, that the, the document they put together as part of the equally safe and briefing for the mm-hmm. consultation was just full of nonsense because that was our feeling. And we were all a bit worried that we were going to be, we were like, we'd read it so much that we were like, we're in, a, we're in a bubble now. All of us think this is mad, but it's like now outside of the bubble, I'm hearing other people think thought it was terrible. And it's like, that's really like fascinating and also really depressing that like they do yeah. this. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Like I wasn't even, I mean, like obviously I care about um, like sex work and sex workers, right? So it's not really like my field or an area of expertise. It's just something I casually care about a little bit. And even just like reading that document the first time I was like, this is, this is nonsense. Um, and it's actually just appalling to me that something that should be like quite high level was done both this poorly and with such a clear agenda that they had to sort of hack together sources to to be able to you know follow this agenda that they clearly already have. I, I just wanted to circle back to um, something you were saying earlier about um, how poorly um, it goes in general when we sort of add extra police to the mix when we're talking about women in vulnerable groups. And actually, that's something that I think has been missing from the conversation um, about sex work in Scotland is it is always framed by the Scottish government, by the party, um, under the sort of equally safe um, sort of agenda. But also, um, again, like there's something that is really heterosexist about the way that sex work is getting talked about. Um, And, you know, one thing that is never, you know, two things that have never mixed well, really, are police and the queer community. And obviously, a lot of um, LGBT people are involved in sex work as well. Um, So that's just something, I guess, as 
as the queer co-host i feel like i needed to mention no absolutely um i mean i have i haven't even got the words to put into into play but we've seen like time and time again the fact that the police don't respond great when faced with like queer community i saw a video the other day i think it was from the protests outside the weiss bar in la where the cops just tore down a trans pride flag and marched across it um and it's like we shouldn't be trusting these people to care for and support people that need like intricate and really complicated support like i don't, i can't even comprehend the process that my brain would have to go through to get from people struggling under capitalism trying to exist to the point where they feel like they have to sell sex and that's their options to we should add police in like there's there's a leap there that i'm not noticing and not I, I can't wrap my head around um and it and it just strikes me as incredibly silly um and that's that's to put it nicely i guess this is a great place from which we can segue into my annoying analysis of the different legislative systems uh but first of all there are places in the world where police aren't actively fighting to suppress and oppress sex workers but are acting to support sex workers and i think that's like a really key uh kind of differential to cover before that because in places where sex works criminalized like even in sweden where they have the nordic model condoms are able to be used as evidence to prove that prostitution was occurring so what they're doing mm. is actively encouraging sex workers to take higher risks for their sexual health. And if you look at the states, cops are legally allowed to rape women, uh, which is to say pay them for sex without telling them that they're then going to arrest them afterwards and they won't get paid for it. So that is by all accounts rape. Um, they're able to do this and they're supported to do that by the police. So they'll go in, pay for sex, have sex. And at the end of sex, uh, the cops will more cops will barge through the doors. The sex worker will be arrested and marched off like criminalizing sex work at no point should ever be viewed as a feminist act because there is nothing feminist about supporting these sorts of horrific like middle ages types of punishment i think it's revolting um so to cover different kinds of legislation um i'll do it briefly because i have a habit of talking for hours about this because i've given so many sex work legislation 101 talks in my life i can like rattle them off and before i know an hour's passed but you kind of have a batch of different legislative models. First of all, we'll start off like Scotland and uh, the United Kingdom, where we have partial decriminalisation, which is to say that uh, it's legal to buy and sell sex, but under very specific circumstances, namely that you must do so indoors, that you must work alone, um, that you can't work, um, you can't work together for safety. So the sex work uh, brothel keeping legislations don't simply criminalise the existence of formal brothels. They criminalise more than one sex worker working in one location at any one time. So that means that like when in the past I've decided to work with a friend together. So you do that perhaps to increase your ability to fend off bad clients for support, for like morale between bookings. Like any uh, woman, then... any two women walking together at night. Yeah, right. Um, but that then is able to be, you're able to be both arrested uh, for uh, being a, like a pimp of the other, essentially, because you're uh, both, uh, in theory, uh, working in a brothel. Um, and it just... Jeez. Uh, uh, and I've had situations before where I've had conversations with workers. This happened when some of my friends were working in Ireland. They lived in Scotland, but were working in Ireland at the time. Um, and they were talking about how they had to have like really serious conversations about like, if a client got violent, would I, were we to stay and like, you know, um, call the police or would we uh, flee and like get out of the country? 
and they came to the decision that it was safer for them if one of them got like seriously injured during a booking that it was safer for the other one to leave the flat and leave the country than to deal with the police and this is under a system which has the nordic model which is in theory there to protect women um so back we have a partial uh, decriminalization here in the uk the main difference between england and wales and um scotland obviously is that uh, in scotland street sex work is fully criminalized under the prostitution public spaces act of 2007 so uh soliciting and uh curb crawling in all of its capacities are fully criminalized here um which naturally just pushes sex workers out of places where they're uh, likely to be seen by the police and into places with less street lights uh less visibility and less ability to screen and it reduces their ability to negotiate with clients beforehand so really going a long way to really help sex workers stay safe at work not um and then obviously in Northern Ireland, they have the Nordic model. Um, then we've got uh, places like uh, Nevada, as you touched on before, Amsterdam in the Netherlands and that as a whole, um, where they have legalization. Legalization is one of those ones where it looks good on surface, but the underside is less exciting, I guess, to put it nicely. So with legalization, you're able to get a license, uh, pay out for a license to then be a licensed sex worker, at which point you can work free from like much police violence and aggression. Uh, but uh then these kind of things aren't often afforded to migrants as well so you've got like a two-tier system where you've got legal sex workers and illegal sex workers and you find that the uh punitive policing is just faced by the like unlicensed sex workers and those sex workers tend to be poor trans sex workers black sex workers people with less access to resources because you immediately need money in order to get the licenses to be able to rent the rooms which you're allowed to sell sex in and then you leave the most vulnerable sex workers who are most at risk with no protection at all and no legal protection then you've got the situation we've got in the states which is obviously full criminalization which is to say buying and selling sex is uh, illegal in all circumstances that's most of the united states with the exception of nevada no uh, america's a great example it's a, america is an incredible example of the fact that capitalism plus punitive policing measures does not equal a situation whereby no sex work exists so we have like Sex workers who are being profiled on the streets, if they're black trans women, they're getting stopped and searched to look, to look to be searched for condoms, see if they can be arrested with the intent to commit prostitution. You have uh, stings and raids being taken on women, which is, as I mentioned before, where uh, state-sanctioned rape occurs before being arresting sex workers. Um, they're just stalked, harassed. There's stings yearly by the FBI um, across the country where they'll like wait in hotels and try and lure sex workers out so they can arrest them. Um, it's just horrific. And then... Uh, We'll end off on the uh, more positive note, which is to say that uh, decriminalization is the, the type of legislation that sex workers globally, as like a sex worker rights global networks, kind of support. So currently it's in, in play in New South Wales, in uh, Australia, and in New Zealand. So in these places, uh, the sale and purchase of sex is uh, has the laws that criminalize it taken away. So we're not adding legislation to dictate how and what and where sex work should exist we're removing the laws that currently kind of take play around sex work and then we're being very careful about like what laws we put in place around it so as not to detract from the sex workers ability to stay safe so you do have um the existence of some brothels that are managed but then you also have the ability for informal cooperative brothels to exist which is to say that you and some friends i think it's up to four don't quote me on it but i believe up to four sex workers are able to work from one location at a time as long as there's no manager and that they keep like all the money that they earn beyond like you know standard things of like renting the place 
Um, and these informal collectives enable people to stay safe without having to work for a manager. Uh, we've seen sex workers be able to take managers to court when they've uh, sexually harassed and abused them. So uh, over here, if I was, well, I was, uh, funny we should talk about this. I was sexually harassed, I was sexually abused, and I have experienced like aggress sexual aggression while I was working in a brothel. Um, it was obviously very traumatic and upsetting. But the interesting content and why I'm kind of bringing it up is because in that instance, I had no access to justice, right? So we talk about uh, we want to promote sex workers' access to justice. Well, when I experienced rape in a brothel in the United Kingdom, this was in England at the time, I couldn't then go to the police because if I went to the police and then said, oh, I was working at X place and I was um, selling sex and then I experienced, you know, really horrible sexual violence, uh, that would then mean, oh, so they'd see that I was working in a brothel and then they'd think, oh, that's interesting. Why don't we come back tomorrow when you're working again? And then we'll raid the place and then we'll take all of the money, take your phones, uh, document the fact that you were working there and then charge you with, like, you know, working in a brothel and, like, get rid of your managers and then you'd have nowhere to work. So by adding criminalization to different aspects of the transaction of sex work, all you're really doing is providing more and more barriers for the women that are working in sex work to be able to access justice um and roots to justice whereas in new zealand you're able to take your brothel manager to court if he like sexually harasses you tries to like get free services out of you and this is like it's been successful women have been successful and men have like been like they've, they've experienced justice which is something that you can't even comprehend here you can't imagine a, a sex worker being able to uh, take her manager to court over sexual harassment in the UK because before that step there's loads of other steps where the police would uh in the way that they always do storm in collect evidence get steal your money take your phone um and all in the search for evidence you'll never get any of that back so um when we're talking about decriminalization as what we what, what we want as a nation and like what sex workers always all um call for internationally is because we want to be able to promote people to have access to justice we want you to be able to get we want us we want everyone like you selling sex to be able to get access to healthcare and to their needs without facing stigma without having to fear that oh i need help because i've uh, experienced something that happened while i was working and i'd like to be able to share that with my health practitioner and then you don't sit there worrying that person there is then going to try and section you is going to try and you know deny you all of your experiences because you're clearly don't know what you're talking about because you're a sex worker you you, you start by saying that um this isn't a criminal act um and uh, you know we, we we want to help you and then from that then you build up a better system whereby sex workers are able to get their needs met without fear anxiety and like uh what's the word i'm looking for retribution like you you remove that side of it and you create spaces where sex workers are able to go to the police if they need to you make spaces where sex workers can get access to all of their needs without having to sell sex if they want to like that's the dream but in the instance where we don't have full communism immediately and we can't all get food housing water medication uh like the better option is that we we start with you know, removing the, the barriers to those things at the moment. Um, yeah. There are some problems with the decriminalisation model as it currently exists. So in um, New Zealand, uh, decriminalisation doesn't cover migrant sex workers. So if you mm. uh, live there and you're a resident, you're able to sell sex with, with the decriminalised model, but you're not able to do so uh, if you're, yeah, if you're a migrant. Um, but uh, that's why uh, how often we call it decrim plus as like a, a saying that we've bounded around sometimes, which is to say that we want like the full decriminalization of sex work with the uh, continued, like continue to migrants, continue to, you know, provide healthcare and to provide with that, you know, access to housing if needed and support, basically. Brilliant. That was brilliant. Thank you. 
Yeah. I was going to say, like, Scotland advertises itself as immigrants are welcome. So this decrim plus sounds like something that's necessary to keep with our, you know, values, our Scottish values, quote unquote. Yeah, I, um, I think that um, when we're talking about uh, how legalization creates like a, a two-tier two -tier system and what we want is full decriminalization, I mean, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. While you were talking about that, I was thinking a bit about how um, the way that we keep trying to make new rules around sex work, and, um, I know that's a term that is defined in a lot of different ways, and sometimes um, when people say sex work, they don't include um they don't include things like lap dancing or they don't include their stripping and they don't include sometimes don't include things like people who just do porn but um you know using the term broadly um that's something that uh, continuing to create new rules and find new ways to regulate rather than like actually improve the lives of people is something that we're seeing kind of across the board right now um and trying to um create more interference with the lives of basically anyone who doesn't conform to a kind of white middle-class femininity it's no mistake that the transphobia and um being sort of sex worker exclusionary are are linked and you know, there's other bits of legislation that we're seeing that aren't related to this Nordic model thing. Like, um, there's the recent, um, recently giving um, councils the ability to limit the number of licenses for quote unquote adult entertainment venues, um, with sort of the concern that some councils might just set the number at zero. Um, th there's a larger push to constrict the lives of women who don't fit a particular mold that is deeply concerning to me. You know, like, who, what, let's throw some bureaucracy in there, that'll fix it, you know, like, it's just ridiculous, or how hard it is for anyone who gets sexually assaulted or harassed in their line of work, like, it's not really easy for women to get justice in the first yeah. place. The last thing we need to do is to make it more difficult. It's ridiculous when you start thinking about it, as long as you take the emotion of, oh, but it's sex and what if my daughter and blah, blah, blah. It's like, you know, let's just think about this like it was any other job. You know, uh, that's the way I mean, I, I think of sex work as, as a job. And if, you know, um, everybody deserves to have dignity in their work and everybody deserves to have like everyone should have access to justice. So what I'd like to talk about is... Um, so what can advocates do? What can, because I really, I deeply believe that this is the next big wedge issue that we're facing here in Scotland. This is the next thing that they're going to try and divide every aspect of every like political persuasion or whatever. So like, what can we do to advocate for this? And what can we do? So maybe we know some women that are way into the Nordic model and they don't see the problems like what what should we be doing and who should we be talking to yeah um it's a it's a question that i'm asked a lot and it is i'm, I'm never able to give fully uh purposeful answers which is really annoying but like there's always things you can do and so first and foremost i'm going to bounce off of uh what what erin mentioned earlier about it like about these the way these laws are coming up um and they're trying to restrict kind of women who aren't viewed as being like the perfect middle class white cisgendered woman right uh, and i want to say that like that's such like a, a a start as a starting point when it comes to kind of challenging you know conversations around this and people that might want to sort of see the nordic model be implemented 
you can start off by actually circling around to that and kind of challenging the notion of what uh, a good woman is because so often what we're doing is we're talking about um oh when you think of the children like oh you can't sell sex on the streets because uh you like my my my, my children will see that and that's disgusting you know i don't, I don't want you know i won't want to see this i don't want my kids to be walking past the lap dancing club these are arguments that we've seen in leeds that's led to the shutting down of the holbeck project right and this is the argument that we're seeing time and time again when these nil cap conversations come up in councils regarding strip clubs um and it's this desire from i mean in theory uh, as we're kind of sold it at the moment um it's the desire from within uh women who who you know who will care about feminism and want to protect other women it's this desire to you know make sure that all women are going to be safe but in reality what it is is it's a very incredibly patriarchal attitude that's trying to dictate that we want women to grow up to be cisgendered white heterosexuals who will uh be good wives uh, and it's this idea that and any woman that doesn't immediately fit into that is like is a problem right so so we need to challenge this notion that um that that is the right and only way to be a woman because like so often women especially white middle class women will see a problem think oh we should add a law to solve this problem and you'll see it time and time again like white media feminists will be campaigning for a single issue that i want to add this law and it's always oh i want to add this law we're going to campaign for this law they'll name it after a woman that suffered horrific violence and it'll be like i don't i'm trying to think of a name one that doesn't exist like jane's law or something and it'll be like you know this is a really big turning point for women and all we're doing is we're layering and we're never we're never actually reviewing the laws that currently exist no we just chuck new ones on top so like like with Nordic model all these uh the, the, the decriminalization of the sale of sex that doesn't actually exist so in in Ireland they never actually removed uh charges for soliciting like that's still Ugh. illegal so you know the decriminalization of women doesn't exist you still can't work together in Ireland because that's property thing so the decriminalization of women doesn't exist um, but what we're doing we're just we're just trying to like we, we think oh we can fix this if we create a campaign uh call it something flashy put some media together we can fix this with a new law um, and we need to challenge that notion that a that the law is actually going to help us and that the law has ever really purposefully solved the problems that women face because i don't think i can point to many locations where that's happened um i think Carly, that, like so like are you saying that the patriarchy the laws that the patriarchy puts in place doesn't help women what i would never i would never suggest such yeah. a thing um <laughs> never i am shocked um, but, but i'm saying that we need to intern suggest that people into like explore that right like it's always really hard to talk about it because it's such an emotive topic, but rape's been criminalised for years and yet rape still exists, right? And the levels of rape aren't like massively decreased from what they were before the last law put in place to try and protect women from rape. Um, the problems and the solutions to that are in like re-educating men and going to the root of the problem that whereby men are able to look at a woman and see them as an object that they're able to overpower. Like these are the issues, these are the problems here in the root. And if even if we criminalise it, if a man's going to rape a woman and he's able to willing to do it now, it doesn't matter if we add seven more laws on top of the current legislation, it's still going to be happening and we need to be tackling problems at the root. So when it comes to prostitution and the issue of sex work, poverty, lack of access to drugs, lack of access to healthcare, lack of access to housing, um, lack of access to secure migrant status. These are, the, these are the root problems. And if we actually, instead of just trying to tackle things as we see them, it's like when you see a weed, you see a sprout of a weed and you think, oh, I'll just chop that off at the top and then that will solve the problem. But you have to actually dig the weed up from the root and you have to start like deal with the actual, it's harder work, it's more complicated and it makes you challenge your own internalized but views. You yeah, dirty. you get dirty. And you have to lower yourself to like talking to women who you would never want to associate with. Yada, yada. How dare we talk? talk to the actual whores as other women you know 
Um, and you have to do that. You have to start to interrogate that in, within yourself mm-hmm. and you have to encourage people. And sometimes it's just like from really small conversations around like, oh, yeah, like if, if someone brings up, you know, the Nordic model is a great thing. You just like start instead of like immediately going, oh, no, that doesn't work. This hates women, hate this sex workers, hate this. Like you, you can you can talk about that. But actually starting off smaller and kind of talking more about like the ways that legislation and the law doesn't necessarily interplay greatly with female liberation from patriarchy and historically hasn't, I find is often more productive of a conversation to have especially when you're in a one-on-one setting as opposed to you know the traditional as you probably saw with the the, the discussion around the bill for the SNP conference like you get a big room you get like a couple of people that disagree with each other to shout at each other for five minutes nobody learns everything and everyone's just a little bit more collectively traumatized I think it's much more useful to have one-on-one conversations where you challenge like the root issues of patriarchy's entanglement within the legislature that affects women's bodies than it is to ever have a screaming match about decrim versus Nordic model because I just don't think that's ever gonna win people around to it. Beyond that I was just gonna say uh books wise there's great books to read. Recently come out is The Service by Frankie Mirren uh encouraging people to read that's a novel about sex workers who take over a church in London and you've obviously got Revolting Prostitutes by Juno Mack and Molly Smith um that's an incredible book that just that kind of goes into and explores um the entanglement of patriarchy with sex work and the ways and it, it has a really great chapter on the issues around sex works and migrant sex work and migrancy and the way that those like topics are often interlinked and confounded with each other um both of those books are really good as well as playing the whore by melissa jura grant like all three and she's that's from a more american perspective so she talks more about like full criminalization and the effects of that and i think we're gonna put these in the show notes all this stuff these websites and everything Uh, but for anybody those three books would give you a great starting point uh to kind of understand where sex workers are coming from so is there anything oh aaron this is your question to ask i think I borrow this from my favorite journalist, um, the great Carrie Poppy. Is there anything that you wish we had asked you? Gosh, is there anything I wish you'd asked me? I think like talking about the moral aspect is like important as an abstract rather than like talking about the moral aspect of sex work because I think it's so easy to get like caught up in your own like moral outrage or something. It's so easy to think like, oh my god, this is disgusting. I can't believe that anyone would ever argue that women should be forced to sell sex. Like, I can't comprehend it. I'm not going to listen to you. I think this is disgusting. And I think we all have to kind of acknowledge quite the um and take like make effort to acknowledge and uh, encourage ourselves to think that other people are coming at this with the best interests at heart and to interrogate their attitudes as if they're coming to things with the best interests at heart and that's what I did with people that support the Nordic model and I used to think it was a good idea and then I ended up selling sex and now don't think it's a good idea um but um but like and I think that like stepping back from your immediate moral gut reaction and kind of looking at things more and being open to other people's ideas even if like internally you're like ew like we have to kind of fight this attitudes and acknowledge that these ew actions are like stemming from from a patriarchal society that tells us how a woman should live her life and like what a right relationship looks like and like the right kind of sexual activity that we should be supporting on a legislative level we have to like think about like oh is this actually something that serves society as a whole or is this like a really intrinsic patriarchal reaction to uh sexuality that's viewed as like deviant is this uh, an intrinsic patriarchal response to women that are viewed as obscene and obtuse and unfit for public consumption like oh and and am i buying into that and i think like if we all did that more it would help us have a much more healthy conversation around sex work because so often uh, rhetoric being used in parliaments um immediately jumps to like reading out the worst and like 
leaning into the repulsion. Um, I know in, in Westminster, they have a lovely habit of reading out horrible reviews that clients leave sex workers as a point of proving how repugnant sex work is and then suggest, oh, well, the solution to this obviously is that we add more criminalization. And we should all take a step back from this and like, all, the, all you're doing is you're platforming abusers and violent men in the to try and prove a point and that you're sidelining women who actually have the ability to communicate about this and it's like we all need to like stop jumping at our emotional moral reactions to things and start like actually looking thinking and being more pragmatic with how we approach it because i'm like sick to death of like having conversations around sex work that just uh are based in people's horrible gut reactions that they just can't see beyond so that would be my question that i wish you'd ask me but you didn't ask me which wasn't a question but there you go anyway i know what i forgot to ask which is uh do you have anything you want to plug your 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 twitter at your your uh uh god no people don't want to see my tweets um <laughs> i love your tweets are you kidding me you have one of the best twitter accounts i mainly tweet about roller coasters but and sometimes politics but not very much i'm trying to stay off the discourse but if you do want to follow me on twitter you can um snake rights because i have a pet snake called cyril um he's always in my heart and he's in my twitter account that's great. Um, I think that Erin has something to plug. Yeah, so um, the thing that I have to plug is I am one of the sort of founders slash organizers of End Conversion Therapy Scotland. We um, launched a petition to End Conversion Therapy and um, it has made it through the petition committee and is now with the Equality and Human Rights Committee. And the Equalities and Human Rights Committee has opened a consultation. And yes, yeah, so following in the footsteps of Scott Pather, excellent example of suggested responses. Um, we have also provided um, suggested responses for the petition consultation. So if you are interested in helping us to ban conversion therapy in Scotland, uh, go to endconversiontherapy.scot slash consultation, and that will give you the link to the consultation as well as suggested responses. And everyone that lives in Scotland is allowed to reply into... Yeah, you don't have to be... Yeah, you don't have to be a... Um, you don't have to be like a registered voter or anything. Just if you live here, go ahead and do it, please. There we go. The Talking Sense podcast now with 100% less Robert the Bruce and talking about Scotland. <laughs> <laughs> Mom's net, Rob. Remember what Kat says. Mom's net will rot your brain. <laughs> <laughs>